Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Kathy Kay, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Thursday, November 19th, 2015. Uh, we are reading in the big book, and we are on page 7, uh, the first full paragraph. Today's readers are Bella G. on the 12 Steps, ACT on the 12 Traditions, and reading our texts are Rebecca F., Deb W., and Cheryl H. Our newcomer greeter today is Elizabeth S. The reference number for yesterday, Wednesday, um, November 18th, is 8207. OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Bella G. to read the 12 steps. Thank you. This is Bella G, a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. These are the 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continue to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, so through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the results of these steps, we try to carry this message to 
compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Bella G. And Stacy T., would you read the 12 traditions, please? Good morning. This is Stacy T. from Cleveland. Thanks for your service. The 12 traditions. Our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is the desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to a compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should be forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, Stacey T. Sure. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinent requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinent requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book on page 7, um, the first paragraph that begins, My brother-in-law is a physician. Um, and I will ask Rebecca F. to read one paragraph and share. Thank you. Thank you, Kathy. My brother-in-law is a physician and through his kindness and that of my mother, I was placed in a nationally known hospital for the mental and physical rehabilitation of alcoholics. Under the so-called belladonna treatment, my brain cleared. Hydrotherapy and mild exercise helped much. Best of all, I met a kind doctor who explained that, though certainly selfish and foolish, I had been seriously ill bodily, and mentally. 
So this is Rebecca. I am a compulsive overeater and um, grateful to be on the line and sharing this particular um, paragraph with everyone. Um, I was thinking about how I felt about my in-laws when I was active in the disease of compulsive overeating and there was a lot of shame and embarrassment. I never felt as good as my in-laws who were almost many, mostly of healthy body weight. And I think it's interesting that he refers to the kindness of his brother-in-law, the physician, and his mother when they committed him to a mental institution, basically, because I wonder if at the time he thought they were being kind or if that's just in hindsight. Um, I just can't even imagine if my in-laws committed and my mother committed me to a mental institution, even though I needed it. Um, so my heart really goes out to Bill, and I give him credit for being able to consider it kindness now in retrospect. Um, the hospital was the town's hospital, and uh, the Belladonna treatment, I was told, is a sedative. And um, between that and some hydrotherapy and exercise and, um, you know, not being able to have access to alcohol, um, thank God his brain did clear. And uh, he wasn't a goner after all. Uh, best of all, though, um, Dr. Silkworth is the doctor he met and explained to him that though certainly selfish and foolish, he had been seriously ill bodily and mentally. And um, I've been thinking about how I was certainly selfish and foolish. And the paragraph we read yesterday about stealing from his wife's slender purse uh, is an example for me of how I had certainly been selfish and foolish. Um, my husband doesn't have a slender purse, but um, nonetheless, uh, our accounts are joint and money that I spent insanely on binge foods and um, overeating was a cost to him. And it was the equivalent of stealing and being extremely selfish and foolish. So I can identify with Bill that I was just like him that way. Even though I was seriously ill bodily and mentally, I learned in this program that even though I have a disease and I need to turn to God to remove my defects of character, I personally am still responsible for the behaviors that I do that result in, uh, that come from my compulsive overeating. So um, I can't blame the way I stole from my husband on um, the fact that I had this illness. That was still my own doing, how I carried it out. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Rebecca S. And who would like to share on this paragraph? Carol G. Okay. This is Bella. Can I share? Let's see. I heard Maya C, um, Carol S. Who else? I'm sorry. Julie R. Julie Renata. Julie R. and Cody S. 
Carol G. I'm sorry. Can we try one at a time? Carol G. I got Carol. Tina S. Somebody S. Who is that? Tina. 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 Renata. Renata G. And I heard Leah M. Let's stop there for now. Um, So it's Monica T. Carol G. Julie R. Tina S, did I get that right? And Renata G and Leah M. Go ahead, Monica, please. Good morning, Kathy. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica. I am a recovered compulsive overeater in Florida. So here we are in Bill's story, and he's giving us a little history. And so we're being told that he's he's brother-in-law, whose name was Leonard Strong, and his mom put him in a hospital in New York City. And this is his first treatment, and this is September 1933. And it's uh, Towns Hospital in New York City, where he meets, best of all, I met a kind doctor who explained that though certainly selfish and foolish, I had been seriously ill bodily and mentally. So this is the first time that Bill is going to hear that he has a disease. And um, that's all I got to say. Thank you. Thank you, Monica. Carol G., please go ahead. Hi, good morning, Kathy. Can you hear me? I can. Thank you. Thank you. It's Carol G. Um, Recovered one day at a time. I was just sitting back there to listen to Monica. Thank you, Monica. Um, I really relate to Bill in this this area of this book because, um, you know, whether Bill and I admitted it or not to ourselves, I think we both knew in our hearts that we needed to be locked away. Being locked away seemed like the only solution to me. And later on, on page 26, it confirms it and says, you know, Carol, you're going to have to either be placed under lock and key or hire a bodyguard if you're going to be free. And that was my truth. Um, I think I still had some control over my food at home and so I kept this rigid tight boundary around it and I'd patrol it all the time what would come in and what would go out and I thought I would be safe there but everything threatened me. Even if you would have locked me up in the most expensive treatment centre I know I would have found a way to get back to that food somehow. That mental twist is so strong. But thinking about my body as well when the food was with me, when the food was in me, when when I was around the food, I felt haunted, I felt stalked, I felt overpowered, and I couldn't see anything, so I was so disturbed by that. I couldn't hide from it. There was nowhere to run. Even if someone would have taken me away and, and locked me up, it would have it would never have made any difference. It would have gone with me. It was inside me. I would chant day and day food plans and prayers and things like a mag like a magic charm as if to ward off evil spirits and I was reminded then of spiritus contra spiritum which is you know spirit against the spirit because I've been so ill bodily and mentally I was possessed and going home I think what actually happened to me was it took the edge off but my body had to go through withdrawal from the killer foods and what I'm seeing here is, is even though my body is seriously ill, it has to be separated from those foods. I took a deep breath. I said, ready, steady, go. Ready, get a sponsor who's recovered. Steady, steady my nerves with podcasts day and night. Get set, begin the doctor's opinion and commit to the program and go. And I ran through these instructions like a mad woman trying to get two for one pizza because 
When the food went down 100%, the mental twist powered up its engines. And I hung on to every word my sponsor said. And like it said later on in the program, it will be cast out. That mental twist has been cast right out of me. And I am extremely thankful for that. So I'm grateful to be reading Bill's story. Welcome anybody who's new and thank you, Anna Pass. Thank you, Carol G. And Julie R., please go ahead. Hi, thank you. This is Julie R., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in California. You know, I have several things underlined in this paragraph, but it's my brain cleared. You know, when I was younger and I hadn't yet um, gained a lot of weight, but I was a compulsive overeater, I was just able to, quote, unquote, control it. Our psychology teacher at my high school um, was quite renowned and had written several books. And he had taken me aside after class one day and he said, you know, you think you're fat and ugly, don't you? And I felt just, I just, I couldn't believe somebody said that because that's how I felt. I felt hideous, disgusting, but yet my body hadn't gotten big. And, And he shared some things with me about the mind. And he told me, he goes, if you do not continue on a path of recovery mentally, and physically, you are going to become that person. And when I did become that almost 300-pound woman, I remembered his words, and I started to go see him again. And I and that was my kind man, because I was seriously ill bodily and mentally. And the things that I would do with food, which I'm not even going to mention, because all of you on this line have done all of them, some of them, or maybe I hadn't done all of those. But the point is is that there are people out there that understand this. And I'm so glad that that was pointed out to me, even though I had to get that big and I had to go through hell. But I, I'm i not that person anymore, you know. Uh, I'm free. I'm neutral. It's amazing. It is just amazing that we can look back on how we acted, how we behaved, how we thought, and those are all cast out. So I'm very, um, I'm very happy to be in this program because it has saved my life. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Julie R. Uh, Tina S. Please go ahead. Thanks, Kathy. Tina S. from Florida. Uh, really good stuff here. Heard some great shares already, and um, you know, it took me back to. Um, I live in Florida now, but I lived in Pennsylvania for the first 30 years of my life. And in 1987, uh, I worked for this corporation where the guy that uh, ran the place was, you know, just a very generous man. And I had the opportunity at the time, uh, thoroughly in my disease, and um, had the opportunity to fly to Florida to a treatment center. And you know, and they told me there I was there for like six or eight weeks. I don't remember that was quite a while ago, but anyway, but I remember them telling me that I was bodily and mentally ill, and, you know, and it was for other addictions, too, and, you know, that's just not why I was there at the time. I guess I just was not ready. You know, I came for the diet. You know, it was a great place. Uh, You know, I hung out outside, got a tan, played basketball, did volleyball. Everybody else was in group, and for the quietness, how I was so quiet, nobody even knew I wasn't there. You know, it was like one of those things. And then, you know, when I moved down here, because this is where it was, you know, this is where the solution was. And, you know, not till like uh, 19, I think it was 1998, you know, I, I 
was ready to go into an insane asylum. You know, I mean, I went to a mental hospital, and I just thought that's where I belonged. You know, and when I got there, I knew that that really wasn't the place. But, you know, the good news that came from that was I, I had hit my bottom. You know, and I was ready to start doing the deal. And, you know, by God's grace, you know, I was able to get after that in 1999. And, uh, you know, over the years, one day at a time, I just have to continue to say this. You know, if I continue to do what I do, I'll continue to get what I'm getting. And I'm on that journey with many other people that, by God's grace, and the 12 steps, I don't have to eat compulsively. I don't have to be an anorexic anymore. I don't have to exercise 24-7. All those behaviors, and I don't have to put that food in my mouth that sets up that allergy and the compulsions that um, I'm miserable. So anyway, I know I'm rambling, but so grateful. And this, this is a great tra- chapter, and, and I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Tina S. Renata G., please go ahead. Thank you, Kathy, for your service. Good morning, family. This is Renata G., Recovered Compulsive Reader, grateful in New York. And uh, I want to focus on I had been seriously ill bodily and mentally. Um, like Charles says, I want to drill on the doctor's opinion here, you know, allergy of the body and obsession of the mind. And, you know, Bill learned from Dr. Silkworth the great nature of his disease and that, you know, he had a disease a twofold illness that manifests, manifests itself in the body and in the mind. You know, on page XXVI, Dr. Sweepworth says that, you know, in this statement, he confirms that we who have suffered alcoholic torture must believe that the body of the alcoholic is quite as abnormal as his mind. And, you know, that was me. I could see myself in this paragraph. I must believe, I, Renata, that have suffered with compulsive overeating my entire life, I must believe that there are certain things that when I ingest them, it creates a reaction in my body that I cannot control. You know, and everyone has different substances, but for me, you know, the common substances were are, you know, flour, sugar, processed fat, and high salt content. Foods, and you know, once I ingest them, I have no control. And you know, there were times that you know, when I ingested those substances, I wouldn't go off on a binge right away. But you know, a day or two later, I would be eating the walls, and I didn't know why. You know, like food was always calling to me, and it was a real struggle to stay abstinent. But once I put all this substance down, like 100%, all the physical cravings went away. You know, but then, you know, the second part of my disease, my biggest problem was my thinking. You know, even after um, putting the food down, you know, becoming abstinent, my mind would always convince me to pick up that first bite again. This time it would be okay for whatever reason, whatever excuse my mind could come up with. And so, you know, I lived in that vicious cycle of get abstinent, pick up the food, and then feel the shame, the remorse, being out of control, getting bigger and bigger, you know, the self-hate, and then, you know, try again, and then fail and fail and fail, and that was my reality. And until, you know, I started working the 12 steps, it, it never changed, nothing ever worked. But, you know, when I worked step one through nine, it, re- it removed the mental obsession from my mind. And once that obsession was removed, then I don't need to pick up the, the foods that were killing me, that were keeping me in that misery. 
And, uh, you know, by living 10, 11, and 12, I think it's spiritual condition, and so I don't need to pick up the food. On page 64, the big book says that once the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. And that was true for me. You know, that came true. So uh, the steps are the solution. Thank you so much, and I pass. Thank you, Renata G. And Leah M., please go ahead. Thanks so much, Kathy. Um, Yeah, best of all, I met a kind doctor who explained that those certainly selfish and foolish, I had been seriously ill bodily and mentally. And, of course, people have noted that this is Dr. William Silkworth. This is Bill's first uh, detox experience in Towns Hospital, and he was assigned to Dr. Uh, Silkworth, who was, you know, a professional, and he was uh, a neurologist and an alcoholism alcoholism specialist. He had worked with thousands of alcoholics in the early part of the 20th century in this hospital that specialized in the treatment of alcoholism. And in his work with alcoholics, Dr. William Silkworth, and they referred to him as the little doctor who loved drunks, um, he found that when an alcoholic took even a little bit of alcohol into his system, this switch went on inside his body, and the alcoholic would just want to drink and drink and drink more alcohol. And so a lot of alcoholics would be admitted, a lot of you know men and women would be admitted to this hospital. They would dry out, and he would never see them again. But he noticed that there was a percentage of people who despite the consequences of the drinking, meaning the loss of their health and the loss of their family and the loss of their jobs and all the suffering that was going on behind the scenes, despite all those consequences, uh, these folks would end up back in the hospital ward again and again and again and again. And Dr. William Silkworth noticed that they couldn't stop once they started drinking but neither, after detox, could they stop from starting again. And Dr. William Silkworth called this the double whammy. Allergy of the body and a twist of the mind. And, you know, Bill, and we're going to read about it, you know, he gained a lot of hope from Silkworth's theory that alcoholism was a medical condition rather than a moral failing and that, you know, It's not about his willpower, but even this knowledge, and we're going to see that, even this knowledge, and perhaps you even see that in your own personal experience, will not help him. Because he was eventually told that he would either die from his alcoholism or have to be locked up permanently because of this mental twist. Sobriety is a physical solution. Abstinence is a physical solution but we're not going to be able to solve a spiritual problem with a physical remedy. And Bill's going to have to learn that, (laughs) and so, therefore, we continue to study. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. Um, Who else would like to share on this paragraph? Larry. Larry. Melissa. 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 Rakesha, is that who I heard? Who is, who is after Melissa? Nancy. Nancy. Anita J. Anita J. 
Sorry, the last name. Okay, Larry K, Melissa C. I'm not sure if I heard Rakesset or not. Did I hear you, Rakesset? Yes, not. Okay, Nancy H and Anita J. Was there someone else? Rachel N M. Okay, Rachel M N. Let's back. Nessa R. Nessa R. Oh, Nessa R. Okay, gotcha. Okay, we'll stop there. We have Larry K, Melissa C, Nancy H, Anita J, Rachel N M, and Nessa R. Please go ahead, Larry. Press star one to unmute, Larry. Hey, Kathy, can you hear me? Yes. Okay, thanks so much, Larry Kay, Recovered Compulsive Reader. So a bit of history, um, you know, in, in going back in October of 1909, actually, there was a doctor, Alexander Lambert, and he, he boldly announced uh, to, to a New York Times reporter that he had found the surefire cure for alcoholism and drug addiction. Uh, this was the, the Belladonna treatment. And he stated that the treatment required actually less than five days. And so what the therapy belladonna, you know, consisted of was this mixture of belladonna, which, which included uh, nightshade, which is like a berry, and some prickly ash and some other things. And, and the result was often so dramatic that Lambert said that, that no one hesitates to believe it possible. And you see, he thought that the belladonna treatment removed the alcohol from a person's system and, and also their cravings. It was a permanent cure. But this, and this was no quack doctor. You know, th th this guy was Theodore Roosevelt's personal physician. And he, he was also a professor of medicine at, um, I believe, at Cornell. And, um, you know, and this was his recipe. And, and then when Towns Hospital opened in 1901, uh, Charles Towns was, wasn't a medical doctor. He needed, uh, uh, he needed Lambert uh, in order to, to, use this, uh, to use this recipe. And eventually, Dr. Silkworth, of course, became the, the medical director of the hospital, and, and then Bill came in there. But, you know, if you look at where I tie in is if, if you know, if you look at our affliction, the history of, like, anti-obesity drugs and the development, those are far from glorious. You know, there's no magic bullets. And, uh, you know, people have spent hundreds of dollars on these, some of these cockamamie cures, um, at least for, for people like me. It's, it's, it wouldn't work. And I can tell you that, you know, about 50 years ago, my mom was prescribed amphetamines. See, there's a few on the line that would remember when, for women mostly, uh, that were overweight, women were, you know, they became, you know, they, they gave them amphetamines. A doctor prescribed amphetamines. My, my mother became an addict by her own admission later on. She, she did have the cleanest home in, around. Uh, her home was very clean, and she could manage, uh, you know, four kids pretty well running around, yet this didn't cure her obsession, you see. And then years later, um, with my mom, uh, there was a drug that came out called Fenfen, and that was all the rage. And, and mom said she felt normal for the first time in her life around food. And, you know, she, she really grieved when, when that drug was pulled off the market in 1997, you may recall some of the, the heart valve problems and stuff. But you see, you can't treat a spiritual malady with a pharmacological agent. You can treat a, per, a person that doesn't have the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind, diets, uh, perhaps different pharmaceuticals. They may, they may indeed work, but not for someone like me. 
No, it won't because I have an allergy of the body and, and an obsession of the mind. And that obsession will lead me back again and again and again. I needed a solution. And, and, and I needed to understand some of the history of this for me uh, because, you know, I needed to understand more about the, the, you know, the progression of this disease and just why these other treatments weren't working, why the cabbage soup diet didn't work for me. It was working for other people. But I spent a lot of money on cabbage, a lot of soup making, didn't work. So anyways, we'll learn more, and with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thanks, Larry Kay. Melissa C., please go ahead. Hi, good morning. This is Melissa C., a recovered compulsive overeater in New York. And um, I'm laughing because if ever I doubt for a second uh, that I do, that I belong here, all I need to do is listen for two minutes, and um, and I just hear my story over and over again from cabbage soup to fen fen, um, you know, and so uh, I, I think to like when I first um, came to OA, you know, years and years ago for a very brief period of time, I did hear that, um, that I was sick and there was a huge sigh of relief. You know, I feel, my God, it's not my fault because, you know, I felt um, at fault about this for so long. You know, my mistake for many years was I didn't listen to all of the message. I heard it's not my fault, so, and, and somewhere I heard that I need to stay away from, you know, the foods that are a problem. And so, um, yeah, so long as I could stay away from those foods, but that really is the crux of this. I could not stay away. And um, and so, you know, I know, like, self-knowledge was, like, the first, kind of like the first round of recovery for me. It gave me just the first layer. You know, I, I got um, I got a little information, and that was enough to inform me, you know, not cure me, <laughs> not um, recover me, but inform me. And so a little information... Um, gave me some relief, gave me a little bit of um, abstinence, but it could not do it for the long haul. And so, you know, I know, like, coming right around, the, you know, the next uh, paragraph, we're going to find out that that's the same, you know, for Bill as well. And so, um, you know, and the thing that's coming to my mind this morning is that even in a recovered state, you know, I'm still sick. You know, this is not, I can be recovered not cured, and it's um, contingent upon my daily work. And so, um, you know, when problems arise for me, as they do because I'm human, um, I have to turn to the fellowship and the people that lead me into the solution, not into examining the problem. And I just want to say how grateful I am to um, anybody that I've called with, with problems who've given me the right um, solutions because they keep pointing me, you know, back into the steps. Thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Melissa C. And Nancy H., please go ahead. Hi. Um, I'm Nancy H. I'm a compulsive overeater in Rhode Island, and I'm very grateful to have the opportunity to share today. I've been through the um, big book, um, uh, the steps in the big book, um, and today, um, 
living in 10, 11, and 12, thank God. And I, I'm so grateful for, for the vision meetings, for everything that I've, I've heard. Um, newly recovered for about eight months. I can really identify uh, with being uh, locked up. I, in 1989, I was in a psychiatric hospital for food addiction um, for six weeks, um, you know, and given um, scales and cups and the big book to begin my recovery. And, uh, you know, I got out after six weeks and within probably a few months, I was back in the food and Within a couple of years, I was in a halfway house. I went to a halfway house in Pittsburgh for a month. And again, the same kind of process. I did step one work um, and then got out, but did not have the support of, um, you know, went to OA meetings, but did not work my recovery through the big book. And today, um, I'm very grateful that I've I've found the vision meetings and also big book, um, working the steps through the big book, the original, you know, method of of recovery, and I am uh, very grateful because I know for me also, um, with the bodily and mentally, I am I'm sick, and uh, today I don't have any control. I on a daily basis I ask my higher power, um, and I know I have a new manager. Um, I'm not in charge anymore, as it says in the big book. So um, for today, uh, <clears throat> I'm learning. Um, I feel my my thoughts, my thought process mentally on being restored. Um, just for one example, in the past, I've been like stock raving abstinent, um, even one time losing up to 130 pounds, but always full of fear and anxiety that I would break my abstinence. And that is indeed um, what happened and just ended up putting all the weight back on. Uh, but today I can feel that the miracle is that I, the fear and the anxiety, not that I don't have it, I certainly do, but I ask God to help to, to take it away. Um, but for the most part, I don't have that fear and anxiety, which is a miracle. And, um, you know, I'm just so grateful uh, to hear everybody's share on the vision meeting. And I think that's it for me. Thank you. Thank you, Nancy H. And Anita J., please go ahead. Thank you, Kathy. Can you hear me? I can. Thanks. Oh, wonderful. Um, this is Anita Jay in Massachusetts. Recovered, gratefully recovered. Um, he met a kind doctor, and uh, I met. I met. He was very kind. It's the first uh, kind of mental type I ever met. He was a psychiatrist, and. Um, what he told me as he got to know me a little bit was I have, I'm a person of great control. This is all I. He's reinforcing I. I am this, all these positives. But the only way I can do that is, is to let go in one area. And the area was the food. And I, I am the one who have decided that this is what I am going to do so I can live a normal life, get through what I thought would um, be the be the living the dream, you know, marrying what I considered my trophy husband and moving to the Big Apple, which, you know, all of the two children, we didn't have a fence. And yet I walk into a shrinks after, I think, seven to nine years of marriage saying, I can't go on. But the point was he he made it sound, and I didn't look any further. It felt good 
that the only way I can live this wonderful dream life is to have a release and that I pick the food. You know, he could only teach me. He could only pass on what he knew. He didn't know. And um, when I first came into OA, which was back in, in 1978, we're reading all this big book. Now I come here and I read this kind doctor. Did it shift my thinking? Was I receptive to this? No, it went right over my head until vision. I know I say this is just another phone meeting, but somehow the format and hearing people all over the country say the same thing over and over, that I am suffering from a serious bodily and mental disease and the cure is going to be spiritual. You know, I'm open to it now because then guess what? It worked. It worked. And, um, I mean, it worked. It will continue to work if I work it. So I am grateful. I'm grateful for this history now because it's, it's reinforcing what I now have lived through and I have my own message now. And it's interesting how similar it is. Way back to Bill. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Anita J. And Rachel N.M., please go ahead. Good morning, Kathy. Thank you for your service. This is Rachel N.M. I'm thankfully recovered today. Um, I am interested in the fact that that Bill says, um, though certainly selfish and foolish, I had been seriously ill bodily and mentally. And certainly um, after we read this book and we talk to other recovered people, we realize that we have been seriously ill bodily and mentally. But I appreciate the fact that Bill, as a recovered man, looks back and in honesty he says, I was certainly selfish and foolish. And um, I think it's important for us, um, as we do our fourth steps and we do our tenth steps, that we take an honest look at ourselves for where we have been selfish and foolish. It, um, we, we must take responsibility for our side of the street if we're going to get well. And, um, and of course, um, for our our physical allergy as well, and and that's all I have to share. Thank you. Thank you, Rachel and um, and Nessa. Or you'll be our last share before we move on. Please go ahead. Hi. Good morning. It's Nessa R. Recovered in Toronto, and every morning that I can be live on the line, I'm so grateful. Um, so. Um, this is Bill's story is part of the reading I do with my sponsees, um, in addition to the doctor's opinion when um, dealing with step one, we were powerless over admitted we were powerless over food and our lives have become unmanageable because in order to admit that powerlessness, I have to know uh, beyond a shadow of a doubt that I am seriously ill both bodily and mentally. And there is absolutely nothing I can do of my own to control either of those aspects. Um, you know, I tried for years, not knowing that, of course, I had an allergy, um, to control the food. And nothing, nothing worked. 
you know, the only remedy we have to suggest is entire abstinence. And of course, I didn't know that. Um, you know, so the more I controlled, the less control I had. And now that I have entire abstinence, 100% weight and measure abstinence, um, I need to address the mental aspect, which also I cannot control, but I can arrest one day at a time with, um, with the work, my working of the steps. Um, as long as I work the steps every day of my life, um, of course, being entirely abstinent, then I, I will have a respite. But until and unless we understand and internalize, not just intellectually, but know in my gut that I am seriously ill, both bodily and mentally, I won't be able to admit that I am powerless over food. And if I don't do that and continue on with the process, I'm building a house in a very, on a very, very, very shaky foundation where the risk of relapse is extremely high so you know i'm so happy that both the doctor's opinion and bill's story drill that through that i am both i'm, I'm seriously ill both mentally and uh, bodily and with that i pass thank you thank you rachel and um i mean i'm sorry that was nessa or thank you uh deb w would you read the next paragraph please sure this is Deb W. Recovered in Oklahoma. <clears throat> it relieves me somewhat to learn that in alcoholics, the will is amazingly weakened when it comes to combating liquor, though it often remains strong in other respects. My incredible behavior in the face of a desperate desire to stop was explained. Understanding myself now, I fared forth in high hope. For three or four months, the goose hung high. I went to town regularly and even made a little money. Surely this was the answer, self-knowledge. <clears throat> and the lines that I just want to pull out that I identified with was the uh, will is amazingly weak when it comes to combating. Uh, is that what it says? when it comes to combating um, liquor. And also, the, my incredible behavior in the face of a desperate desire to stop was explained. And, and what that, how I interpreted it, how I made that relative to my experience is that um, I didn't have the power to combat the food. You know, I you know, the will to resist eating what and when and how much, you know, that I know within is too much. Uh, combating would be the ability to exert myself to control a thing. Like I get up in the mornings, every morning, brush my teeth, wash my face, because that's what it was taught to me. And that is embedded in me, that that's what I do each morning. And I was taught, and it was also embedded in me that, you know, when I'm full, I stop eating, and that eating past it full is uncomfortable, and it's gluttonous, and it's greedy, and it's wrong. And yet, for me, a compulsive eater, at that place, I would rather keep going until the food is gone. The enough diminishes. Whatever that is, that enough, that, that place that makes me stop, 
it isn't there. It just goes away. It disappears. And it seems the more I stuff, the more I continue to stuff until the food is all gone. I don't care. During that exercise of resistance, I don't care, you know. I don't care what I was taught. You know, I'm just driven. And the satisfaction of that bite ends in the first bite or two, you know. So what I do after that has nothing really to do with, you know, being satisfied. It's just what I do. And so when I sit back and I think, I understand, you know, being a person that I am today, the compulsive eater the of the, the you know, bottom, bottom type, because, you know, just the other day, I, just as short as yesterday morning, I experienced pure feelings without anything to numb them. That's what I do now in recovered life. A feeling can come on and it can overwhelm me. And, you know, one of them for me, one big one for me is being misunderstood, that, you know, I'm unable to explain myself, you know. What I'm saying is discounted, or my favorite one is when my husband tells me what I'm feeling. You know, I get frustrated, and I feel anger, pure anger, and it throws me. And and I feel justified because inside, I know you're wrong. You don't know me. You don't even hear what I'm saying. And so when these feelings get so strong, I just get overwhelmed. I have to run and not walk to God. Even if if I'm in the midst of the issue, somewhere in me I have to have that pause. That time? And and I'm going to wind it up right quick. I have to have that pause so that God can come in in spite of the feeling. God can come into the defects and 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 calm me down, you know, and, and I can go call somebody if I need to, and I can go do, work the program to get out of that feeling uh, because that feeling is dangerous to me. So thank you uh, for, excuse me, for running over, and, and I pass. Thank you, Deb W. We have time for probably two or three shares. Who would like to share? Reva P. Hello, this is Raquel. Okay, I'd like to catch the first people that spoke. Can you do it again, please? Chrissy M. Okay, I heard Chrissy M. Janice M. Okay, Janice M. Let's just do those two then, Um, and we'll have to get the others. Uh, later, probably. We might have time for one more, but let's see. Chrissy M., go ahead. Chrissy, are you there? Press star one. Can you hear me? Now I can. Go ahead, please. Hi, I'm Chrissy M., recovered compulsive reader and anorexic from New Jersey. And I just wanted to say that the the emotions when it says the the goose hung high, you know, those ups and downs, those peaks and valleys of life aren't what I've come to, to know after working this program, after falling on my face a number of times in my life, it's not that the end, the end and the aim of life, but what what I have noticed and what I have learned is that I feel complete and utter connection to life 
when I'm relying upon a higher power, when I know that I don't know everything, when I'm open to directions and when I'm connected to other people. And and that that like was just so beautifully shared, that ego does rear its head and it, it feels so so real. But I know that to live in that up and down those those swing of emotions is going to make me eat. That is my job to stay emotionally sober today. And I don't ever need, need or feel the urge to compulsively overeat when I'm in that, that place of calm. Um, and with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Chrissy M. Janice M., go ahead, please. You called Janice M., Kathy? Yes, I did. Yes. Okay, thank you. Good, good morning to you and good morning to everyone. My name is Janice M., and I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Well, you know, I certainly, you know, can I relate to Bill when he writes this? It relieved me somewhat to learn that an alcoholic uh, that in alcoholics, the will is amazingly weak. Well, yeah, I was so relaxed to know, well, okay, now I know what my problem is. I have the allergy of the body, the obsession of the mind. I could repeat it. I could understand it. You know, I would come to 12-step meetings and sit there meeting after meeting and still pick up because I thought that, gee, I know about this. Now, I know that my will is, 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 is my will doesn't work, because we just read all about it. Now, now, you know, it's the self-knowledge that's going to work. Ah, that's the answer. Because now I know the problem from Dr. Silkworth and from the big book. Now I'm going to try, you know, I'm going to try to manage my life. But you see, my problem wasn't just knowing that I had the allergy and the obsession. It was trying to control it. I really lacked the power to do it. I was trying to do everything on self. You know, okay, I'll go to a doctor and, like uh, Larry said, get the fen-fen, and that will, that will help the allergy. And, of course, I've got repercussions from that. And uh, when I wanted to eat, when I wanted to eat, when that obsession came in my mind, I stopped taking the fen-fen. See, the obsession was just so much. So it wasn't, it's not the self-knowledge. I thought, making more money. Watch when Bill, always money is his problem, because that was his thing. You know, now, you know, I'm, I'm abstinent. Um, he's, he's abstinent from alcohol for two to three months. He, now he's got what it takes. The prospects are going good. I'm going to be making money. So he had high hopes. You know, because now he had the answer that he thought, like many of us did. I mean, I'm talking about myself, you know, but I, I try to figure out what triggered my relapse, you know, try to get in touch with my feelings, <laughs> all that stuff. And uh, sitting around, even knowledge, more knowledge by reading the big book, it still didn't work because I was still trying to control you know, and I love when it says now that I know that, you know, now that I'm recovered, I can say it relieved me somewhat to learn. Yeah, today I know it. What a relief to know that I cannot control and that I do have a companion called my higher power. That's the relief that I found today. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Janice. Um, we're going to have to close the meeting now. 
And I'd like to uh, say to those of you who wanted to share, I hope you'll stay around for the unrecorded hour so you can um, share what you're thinking about. Thank you to everyone who has shared. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. We'll now close with a reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Cheryl H., will you please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Press star one, Cheryl. I don't hear you. Thank you. Hi, this is Cheryl H. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.